All right, what's going on, everybody? It's Joe and Peter back again, welcoming you to another episode of Providence POV. It's currently Thursday night around 10 o'clock. We're doing it a little bit later this time around. You'll be listening to this exactly 10 hours from now on Friday morning, the 16th. Coming to, the, coming to you this time after a Providence win, they seek revenge on St. John's and split the season series one to one. Providence wins this one at home 75 to 72. Peter, what's going on? How you doing? We battled tonight, man. We we battled. The Friars battled on it was Tuesday night, right? Tuesday night. Yeah, Friars battled on Tuesday night, made it stressful. My computer made it stressful. My microphone made it stressful tonight. <laughs> Dinner reservations made it stressful tonight. Yep. But we're here and we're talking about a very I would say stressful game, but at the end of the day, they got a victory. They got a three-point victory. They took care of business and another Big East win uh, to add to their resume. Yep, 100%. Uh, We had some off-mic issues uh, when we had originally planned to record, but you know what? The show must go on no matter matter what time of the day. but yeah, Providence uh, wins a very important bubble matchup against St. John's. This, uh, you know, should hopefully improve our position on the bubble. It improves our position within the Big East standings with respect to Big East record, overall record, and most importantly, the tiebreakers. And last but certainly not least, it also marks Josh Oduro's not first, not second. But third child being born, um, his first child actually wasn't even born Saturday. It was born last Wednesday, uh, a boy named Ryan Kalkbrenner. Then, of course, on Saturday, Josh and his wife gave birth to Gabriel Oduro and named Kim English the Godfather. And then Tuesday night, Oduro had his third son by the name of Joel Soriano. So Josh Oduro (laughs) now has three young babies that refer to him as daddy. I like how you, I didn't, I didn't see that coming. Did not see you. How long were you planning on doing that, Joe? Um, the second that uh, Joel Soriano fouled out okay. with nine points and seven rebounds mm-hmm. and Oduro, you know, dropped 28 yeah. on his head. That's mm-hmm. when I, that's when I was like, you know what? I, I need to, I need to uh, expose Joel Soriano for the crybaby that he is. Yeah, I think let's not bury the lead. Yeah, Josh Adora was the majority of our offense. Yeah. And we you saw, and it's frustrating, but you saw times when they didn't get Josh Adora involved. It often struggled. Mm-hmm. And we all know how that first half ended. Probably the worst possible way you could you could end a first half. Mm-hmm. Uh Five points from the 942-minute mark. You give up a 23-5 to run. You're up 13, and then you go down five at half, right? And you feel like the, the ceiling is falling, right? And they leaned on Josh Aduro in that second half. Uh, he was very aggressive. Uh, he he was good at getting to the line, right? Like he's been a very good free throw shooting shooter for this team. He was nine for 10. He got, like you said, Soriano fouled out with five fouls. He also had 
uh, edge of four. He also had four. So there are two centers that were their main that were mainly guarding Josh Duro accounted for nine out of the 19 fouls that St. John's committed, right? So Adoro was aggressive. He was physical. He had a clutch shot with about 40 seconds left, 45 seconds left. Yep. Make it a four-point game, something that we didn't get on Saturday against Butler that we desperately needed from someone. Mm -hmm. And Adoro was that guy, and he was – he was everything. He's so important to this team. Uh, without him, this team doesn't have 16 wins, and this team doesn't go anywhere. or It doesn't move forward without the presence of Josh Adoro. A hundred percent. I'm actually I'm going to reset the clocks here to about a week and a half ago. It is Sunday night. A bad Villanova team beats the wheels off of Providence in Philadelphia, and Kim English promises changes to the offense, right? They're going to start running more sets. Uh, You know, the shot selection is going to improve. There's going to be less freedom. Now, uh, almost a week and a half later, having gone two and one over that stretch, I think it is very safe to say that one of the largest changes that has been implemented is getting the ball through Oduro offensively. And the proof is in the stats, right? In the two games that, Josh has played since Kim made those statements after the Villanova loss. He's recorded 60 points, 16 rebounds, and 18 free throw attempts. And if that doesn't speak to the way that Kim English wants to run things offensively, then I don't know what does. Um, Josh is putting the Big East on notice. And to, to be completely honest and to be fair to Josh too, this stems, you know, much farther back than uh, just this, you know, really two game stint here. Um, you know, he kind of uh, foul trouble, sure, foul trouble played a part in this, but he, you know, out savvied Donovan Klingon in stores um, and has been, you know, just a, a, a consistent presence and we've sung his praises for most of conference play here even you know before during after all of the Bryce Hopkins stuff so the 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 credit is certainly not overdue we've been giving it to him but it needs to be put on blast especially after the two performances that Joss has strung together over the past you know week or so um Kalkbrenner Soriano were teed up to be two first team all biggie selections and neither one of them could really put a lid on Josh Odoro's basket. So uh, credit to Kim for making those adjustments, credit to Josh for just being an absolute beast in the paint. And, you know, maybe that maybe uh, having a baby kind of gave him that dad energy that Twitter has been uh, going on about for, for months now. We, Joe, you and I talked about very early on when we, started doing the podcast full-time together, just you and I, right? Mm -hmm. We started early on talking about how important Josh Adaro was to this offense. And this is with even with Bryce Hopkins, right? And we, I think you and I advocated early on in the season, the offense should go through him, right? Like you got to get, not just through him. Like obviously you had, you have Devin Carter and obviously you had Bryce Hopkins, but he needs to get touches, right? He needs, needs to get touches because I think, when you can get a paint touch or a post touch or an elbow touch, wherever he is, it opens up 
I think the three-point game, it makes mm-hmm. the show shots a little opener for a team that doesn't really shoot the ball well. Right. Uh, any little space you can get, is, I think, is very helpful, especially uh, if they drop down and they double with a wing. You will have someone open. Adoro obviously has to go find him, and I think he did a, g- a good job against St. John's. He had four assists about f- finding an open guy, and then obviously that guy has to go make that shot. But we, you and I advocated a, a lot. For Josh Adaro getting a ton of paint touches, right? Like 15, 18 shots a game yep. is where he should sit at. He had 16. And look, he struggled in the beginning of the Big East play. Uh, it's There's no sugarcoating. You can just go look back in the box scores, right? And he struggled. But he's bounced back tremendously, better than I, I think I've ever expected. And I started to keep going back to the Butler game on Sat this past Saturday. But you, you saw the impact yeah. of him not being on the court. One, defensively. You just are not the same with Josh Adoro off the court. But secondly, when you needed someone to make a shot, right, an easy shot in that final four minutes of the game, you didn't really have someone to get you that easy look in the paint. You had that against St. John's on Tuesday night, and that is one of the reasons um, they won. And you know what, Joe? One of the reasons St. John's came came all the way back, or came all the way back, but down 13, going to 23 to 5 run to end the first half, is because Josh Adora was not really involved yep. in that first half. And that's an issue, right? Like he needs to be involved throughout the entirety of the game. And he was the second half when it mattered. But one of the reasons St. John's came back was one, we went through one of our worst shooting performances of nine minutes that we could humanly possible, which I thought we weren't going to keep doing, but we somehow keep doing it. <laughs> and Josh Adoro just wasn't involved. And one of the reasons that's one of the reasons St. John's came storming back took the lead by five at half and had us a little, maybe a little bit more than just worried heading into that second half. Yeah. You know, you're, you're totally right. 26 of his uh, 28 points came in the second half. So that it was very clearly a difference maker. Um, but what I would like to point out about the first half, and you touched on this, Peter, is that when Josh was getting double teamed, he did a fantastic job of yes. kicking out to the open shooters. And I think, um, you know, the highlight real play is that no look pass to Rich Barron on the wing early on, right? Mm-hmm. Josh gets double teamed as soon as he touches the basketball, gets to, a, you know, maybe a foot or two in front of the free throw line, no look pass to Barron, three points, right? So um, I think you're right. I think, you know, getting touches in the paint is going to open it up for our shooters. And then to the, to the, the latter point you made about closing out the second half, this is, you know, or closing out the end of the first half, excuse me, kind of jumping the gun here. This is, um this is a theme that we've now seen in back-to-back games. And that's uh, Providence's inability to close out halves, right? Because we were up 13 in the first half, obviously, we squandered that lead, went down into halftime, down five. Um, but even in the second half, right, there were some abysmal plays down the stretch that really could have lost us that game. Um, and this is exactly what happened on the road at Butler, too. So for as good as Josh Oduro has been playing, for as consistent as Devin Carter's been playing, um, you know, as tough as Gaines was coming back uh you know, after that lip and eye bloody injury um, and for as much as Barron and, you know, Corey Floyd have improved as a collective, the team really needs to tighten it up in the final three minutes of any half, whether it be the first half, the second half, right? Like things need to be tightened up because we can't coast through, you know, 
16, 17 minutes of good basketball and then fall apart in the final four, which has been a recurring theme now for three straight halves. Joe, you don't play in a conference where you can score five points in the final nine minutes and 42 seconds of the first half or any half. And like, that's just not acceptable. Right. And it's, it's good that we won in a hundred percent and maybe say not acceptable is a little drastic, but that's an issue, right? It's, it's something that is systematically probably wrong with not it's, I'm going the wrong way here, but when you <laughs> score, not, when you score five points in nine minutes and 42 seconds, right? It's not just missing shots. That's part of it a hundred percent, but it's also, I think a coaching staff breakdown kind of like, I don't think they fully have like a, like a play that they want to run when they need to go get a quick basket, unless it's a post touch to Josh Adoro. Right, right. You like you can't go. You can't score five points in nine minutes, or five points since the nine forty-two mark. Right, like you were not going to win. We we're lucky we were up thirteen at that point, right, or up double digits because you can get run out of the building. We saw it against X. You got run out of. You can get run out of the building. You got run out of your own building against X. Right, like right. it happens. You 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 and I talk about. They go on these walls three to five minutes and that's an issue nine minutes of five points is it a major issue right like it's it's basically a quarter of the game it is a quarter of the game if you round it up a little there it's 10 minutes right it's a yeah. quarter of the game when you score five points we well, saw it against villanova it yeah. started like that at seton hall yeah like it's it's frustrating because you see how fluid the offense can be, right? When guys are making outside shots, when Adoro's getting paid touches, when Devin Carter's doing his things, but all of a sudden it breaks down and it breaks down bad. Like it, do, like they don't turn into like, look, you go up 13 early on, right, Joe? You, you most likely you're not going to win the next rest of the game by 13, right? That's just, no, it's hard. Really, it's hard to play with the leads, especially hard, not, that early. One, we're not that good enough a team to really do that against St. John's. And it's really hard to do that against another legit Big East team, another team battling for a tournament berth. That's not going to happen. You just can't play the worst basketball I've ever seen. Like you can't just go from really good to just terrible. You there has to be a way to just withstand a 13 double digit lead, right? You don't have to be special. But when they go on a 12-0 run, instead of 12-0, make that 12-6, right? Like that's a huge huge difference yep. in the grand scheme of a 40-minute college basketball game. And for some reason, when we struggle on offense, we don't just struggle. We just hit rock bottom, and it gets ugly, and it puts us in really tough situations where we put our backs against the wall and probably in a game where we probably never should have had our backs against the wall. Yeah. No, uh, listen, I agree with everything that you say, right? Um, you know, this team – has shown that even without Bryce Hopkins, that they can do a lot of really good things on the offensive side, but also on the defensive side of the basketball. With that said, uh, you know, basically everything that you just said, there is a, you know, severe inability to close out halves. Um, and in the way that this team closes halves, it, it, it's like a different team, right? They're, they're not playing the disciplined defense, right? The offense looks lackluster and, and lackadaisical. Um, and, and it's something that needs to be addressed because as we saw on Saturday against Butler, 
it loses us games. Yeah. And I don't know if you subscribe to him, Peter, but there's um, Divine Friars. He's a um, he's a Twitter guy and he sends out a newsletter and he breaks down, you know, post game in like email articles that come right to your inbox. He does a really good job. Um, but in his most recent one, it's called 24 hour rule Providence 75 St. John's 72. Mm -hmm. He basically opens by saying that when he watches Providence play at home and when it gets really tight at the end of the game, he feels like we're going to win. However, when we're on the road and it gets really tight at the end of the game, he gets the sense that we're going to lose. And here are the stats to back it up in close games which is three or fewer possessions as he defines it this season. Providence is four and one at home with the one loss being to Seton hall on the night that Bryce Hopkins got hurt. The other four victories are Butler in overtime, Georgetown, Creighton and St. John's on a neutral court or I'm sorry, away slash neutral court. We're two and five with one win being on a neutral court against Georgia and the second win being on the road at Seton Hall. Neutral court, Kansas State, loss. And that's with Bryce Hopkins, mind you. Yeah. So this isn't something that you can blame on the injury to Bryce. At St. John's, loss. At Creighton, loss. At UConn, loss. At Butler, loss. So there's something to be said here about, one, home court advantage. Because when you're playing at home, when you're playing in front of the fans, right, you don't have to travel Sometimes you get that extra wind at the end of the game where that will, you know, ideally carry you to the finish line. But that's not the way that the postseason works. That's not the way that the Big East tournament works. And quite frankly, that's not the way the end of our schedule here works, right? That we still have some really tough road games ahead of us at Xavier, at Marquette, at Georgetown. So if Providence doesn't clean up the late game, or I won't say late game, the late half execution, it's going to cost us the same way that it cost us against Butler on Saturday. And yeah. the same way that it almost cost us against St. John's. Thank God. What's his name? His toe was on the line because St. John's would have taken a 71 70 lead on that jump shot. Also, thank God they didn't have another camera angle on that Josh Adoro inbounds play. On right. by right by the St. John's, because I'm not saying that was off us. That was off Josh. That, but that, that was, was probably off us, and we're lucky we don't have a better camera angle. But for for the that's love the of rule, God. though. If there's not if there's not enough oh, no. overturn. Oh no no there's no look. I would have kept the call. I'm just saying, like obviously small parts of the game change thing. Why are we inbounding the ball to Josh Duro in the corner? I have no idea. And why is it also impossible us for us to inbound the ball? At, yep. Parts. I don't know. One final thing I want to talk about the maybe the inability to score in stretches, right? And I would say nine four five points and since the nine forty two minute mark is a little bit more than a stretch. It's basically half the first half. That's it a quarter. Is, That's a quarter of the game. Yeah, it's a quarter of the game. It's half a half. Um is and I hate how we keep going like well, I go back to this, so I think a little more than you do, but the point guard play, right? When your team struggles offensively. You kind of look to a point guard to not make a shot, but create a shot for someone, right? Mm -hmm. I don't think we have that right now on the roster. I'm not saying Garway or Jaden Pierre can't turn into that. 
potentially next year or down the stretch this year, right? I just don't know at the moment. And we saw that in the Butler, and then I think we saw that in the St. John's game. We got and not we got lucky, but we had Josh Duro in the St. John's game. And that's a huge difference. Mm-hmm. But I don't know because Devin Carter's not a true point guard, right? No, and he's not. He didn't, he didn't have his best performance uh against St. John's. He wasn't nowhere near bad. Nowhere near bad. But scoring wise, three only took seven shots. It wasn't your typical huge output from Josh, uh, Josh or Devin Carter scoring the ball. He still had yeah. seven free throws, 11 rebounds. I'm just saying if you have a, a true point guard that can create a shot for another guy like a Devin Carter, like a Josh, Adora, I think the offense doesn't go into those stalls. And we sometimes rely on Devin Carter too much to go make a shot. And yeah. that sometimes bites you because well, like St. John's is a good defensive team, right? They didn't have the best defensive performance, but Rick Pitino is known for his defense, right? Like that's his bread and butter. Mm-hmm. And I thought they did a good job on, I think they did a good job on our guards, right? And I think they did, a, they were very physical at the point of attack on our guards. And I thought we didn't really adjust to that, especially in the stretch and then down the stretch where I felt like, oh boy, here comes a costly turnover. Well, if we're going to think back to, the successful Providence teams of years past mm-hmm. that yeah. were really good. I know where you're going. Late in the shot clock, late game situation, right? Jared Bynum from 21-22, the Sweet 16 team. Mm-hmm. Lawan Pipkins, the 2019-2020 COVID team. And Kyron Cartwright the 2017-2018 Big East Tournament Championship game team. All three of those guys, Bynum, Pipkins, Cartwright, were excellent at taking the ball, and they were all point guards, at taking the ball late in the shot clock, late in games, and forcing something to happen, whether it was getting a look for themselves or finding the open teammate. All three of those guys did a really, really, really good job with late, shot clock, late game execution. And this team is not there yet. You know, that's not to listen. Jaden Pierre is a sophomore and this is his first season. Yeah. Logging a majority. I'm not. Yeah. That's what I was trying to allude at too. Oh yeah. No, it's not at all his fault. It's just inexperience. And yeah, like you were saying, Devin Carter is not a true point guard and credit St. John's. They did a good job on him defensively, right? Like, uh, I think it was Dennis Jenkins who was guarding him or whoever it was did a, St. John's did a good job, you know, gluing to Carter. And that's why, you know, even on a bad night, 14 and 11 is still pretty yeah, impressive, yeah. but hundred percent Devin Carter is going to draw a lot of attention, especially when you have, you know, an in- inconsistent stable of scores behind you. So I think your point is extremely well taken in that, you know, this team, aside from, you know, Oduro on the low block, doesn't have anybody that can create their own shots late they in the guys. shot. Right. And when Devin Carter is being defended the way that St. John's defended him, you know. They actually have one. Carter. Yeah, because Oduro yeah. can't create his own shot. Exactly. Yeah, that's, yeah. He can create his own shot when he gets the ball where he's supposed to. Well, right. That's so, part, part like, of the equation yeah. is getting him the basketball. Yes. I also, I don't know if you saw this, and – I'm going to throw two of the point guards, obviously, in before so we don't get yelled at by people. Chris Dunn and then obviously Bryce Cotton. Oh, right. Both. I was going back more recent memories. Yes, I know. I know you do. Before someone comments on Twitter, uh, Chris Dunn and Bryce Cotton. 
we know we, we're not forgetting them, and I know Joe wasn't forgetting them. But I want to. Don't you feel that sometimes, Joe, we sh- we get Josh Adoro the ball too far away from the basket, right? Mm-hmm. Like down the stretch of the second half, right? Throw the first half, end of the first half, half that thing that was terrible. We're gonna burn that, burn that tape. Uh, end of the second half where it got critical, right? And we still struggled to score a little bit. And then obviously Josh Adoro with that clutch shot about with about a minute, minute less than a minute. But I think at times. And this this just frustrated me because Soriano was fouled out, right? Yep. And then you have the guy that's guarding him with four fouls, right? Like if he goes fouled out, they have no one to go guard Josh Adoro. Like they don't have a center. And I just thought we got him the ball too far away from the basket. We got him the ball once at the three point line, and then, then he turned it over, right? Like that is just that's what we we kind of panic. We 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 panic when. There's four minutes left in the game, and you got to go make a play. And I just think getting Josh Adoro the ball at the three point line is not acceptable. He gets the ball too far away, and then it just and then they it gives the defense enough time to go draw a double, and then he gets trapped. What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I just sometimes I feel like uh, late in the shot clock, the team kind of plays hot potato with the basketball, and it's like you know when it pulls Oduro out of the paint and there's let's call it less than 15 seconds left on the shot clock my gut reaction is all right that you know we're not scoring on this possession yeah because if you get him a touch uh, like unless he's going to take a wide open three like there's there's no need for him to be that far away from the hoop I mean mm-hmm. unless uh, unless you're drawing like some baseline cut for a guard who's going to beat his defender and you want Oduro up top so that he's pulling the the post defender out of the way but it's rarely ever that it's more so Oduro comes up to kind of like set a ball screen and and somehow winds up with the basketball and then guys don't move that's another thing that drives me nuts is guys not moving um but yeah I'm kind of with you on that I don't love that execution well so I'm looking at the play-by-play right Zuby Eljafor makes a dunk 70 to 68 with 228 left Right, and one he misses the free throw. Then we go down, we get the ball, and I believe this. And then at two o one, Josh Adorum turn, turns the ball over. I'm pretty sure that's the time he got the ball at the three point line. Right, right. If I remember, you're up two with two minutes left. Why the hell is Josh Adorum touching the ball at the three point line? Right, that just can't happen. Right, and he turns the ball over because he has to get it out and like. Because you have to keep the ball moving, he kind of panics. He's not in the right spot. Like that just shouldn't happen, and that's one of the reasons. And then they go down, they tie the game, and then obviously Corey Ford Jr. makes an, a great play, makes a layup to take the lead. But you, your best score of the night, your big man is touching the ball up two with two minutes left, thirty feet from the basket. Yeah, that's bad. Like that, you that just can't happen. He needs to get a paint touch because we saw him. They were calling a lot of fouls. Right, I'm not saying every time Soriano, maybe Soriano had a couple. Um, he was frustrated, and you can tell. And maybe there's a couple home calls going our way, but that's what happens, and it happened against us the other way. I was going to say it, it happens anytime you're at home. And I'm not apologizing uh, for a friendly. Home no, also. not at all. But go to Josh Adoro down low. Draw the foul. You're up two. Go make some free throws. He's it was nine for ten from the line. He is should not be touching the ball at the three thirty feet away from the basket with two minutes left in the game. Up two. A hundred percent. That's that's a that's a problem, and that's one of the reasons they tied the game. Like, 
you're giving them easy baskets. And this is one of the reasons the offense is stalling because you have guys out of position touching the ball where they should not be touching the ball with two minutes left in a two-point basketball game. Mm-hmm. No, you're you're right. It, 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 listen, it, it, it keeps coming back to the point here that late-game execution is just it, – it's subpar for where it should be at this point in the season. Um, and I, I, this is the podcast of Broken Records, but we're going to lose games because of this. We have lost games because yeah. of this. And there was a point in time on Tuesday night where I thought we were going to lose the game. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 100%. Dude, I, I thought half we were going to lose the game. I texted you. It doesn't feel like a win, but we sh- I'll sure as I'll take it. Like, it didn't feel like we won the game. But we did. So, yeah. listen, in a nutshell here, because I don't want to be overly negative. Um, in a nutshell, what Josh has been doing lately, awesome. What Devin continues to do, awesome. I think, you know, Ticket, Pierre, uh, Baron, Floyd all provided, you know, really meaningful minutes. But yeah. as I a thought col- Floyd was very good. Yeah, Floyd. Floyd had a real, another really good game. Not in the store, not in the scoring column particularly. No, but I thought he overall he had a dude. He made a huge layup with a minute twenty six left in the game. Oh, when he took it coast to coast, that was sweet. Well, yeah, it's a tie game at that point. You need a, yeah. was it a tie game? It yeah, was a tie game. Oh man, I, yeah. Um, but anyway, back to my point. Individual performances have been great, but the collective as a team, late game ex- execution has been awful. And maybe it's because, you know, we're running a thin bench the past couple games. We haven't played more than eight, seven or eight guys. And I think you're starting to see fatigue on these players. Um, Carter has been nursing something for the better part of a month now and continues to just play, you know, with his hair on fire, regardless. Um, Ticket gains was bleeding out of every crevice on his face. Uh, But still, 11 points. Um, Oduro had a freaking kid and put up 28 points. Like that, that just shows you one, how tough these guys are, but two, like the, the limited resources we have where some of these guys can't get, you know, a blow for more than a couple of minutes without, you know, losing the lead or having Castro turn the ball over four times or what, what be you. So anyway, it's late and I'm rambling, but, um, I'm I'm happy with the win. I will take the win again. I will take an ugly win over a pretty loss, eleven times out of ten, and I think you'd say the same. Yeah. Um, but caveat, right? Ugly, ugly win. We're back to seven and seven. We have mm-hmm. pulled ourselves back up into the upper tier of the log jam is what I'm going <laughs> to refer to this because it's a log jam. But it is. It's like a strange log jam. You've got UConn looking now taking a, a, a bird's eye view at the conference standings. You've got UConn who is as much as I hate to say it, going to run away with it unless Marquette gives them a really good game this weekend. Um, then you've got Creighton and Seton Hall duking it out for third and fourth. Butler, Xavier, Providence, all tied at seven and seven. The tiebreakers go Butler, Xavier, Providence. So that puts us squarely in seventh place. You've got Villanova alone in eighth at six and seven. St. John's slips to 
sole ownership of ninth place. You've got Ed Cooley's $6 million win, Georgetown Hoyas, at 1-12 in 10th place. And then um, a sack of shit. And then beneath that, you have DePaul. Yeah, yeah, you have a you have a wild jam, and obviously Villanova six and seven. They still play on Friday night against Georgetown, so we can potentially probably chalk that up to a victory. You never know. Um, but the big weekend in the conference, obviously, it's a big week next week, uh, and you're probably at the moment, Joe, battling for fifth. I think like that's the peak. Obviously. You can get to fourth or third, I guess, technically. Well, Crane, you know, both nine and five. I just, I don't, you know what I mean? I don't know. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to be as realistic as possible. Um, obviously, they can't get, they can, I don't, I think mathematically, I think they still could get the second, technically. They can. Uh, I don't, toss, I'm going to toss that out at the moment. I think um, mathematically speaking, the highest we could finish is third. Okay. Um, I saw a tweet before. It was one of yeah. those uh, anonymous accounts that does all of the biggest tournament seeding probabilities. Um, yeah. The high oh. there's we can't finish higher than third or lower than ninth, I believe. Yeah, we can't get the tenth. We can't finish the tenth. Um, no, it's, it's statistically impossible. Either Georgetown or DePaul will finish tenth, eleventh. Like that yeah. is for certain. So, but, I personally, I think we're going to finish sixth. I think okay. when, it, when it comes down to tiebreakers, I think we finish sixth, which sucks because we'll have to play on Wednesday. Um, and the problem is when we t- we've talked about this, the problem is when you play on Wednesday against DePaul, it's not a resume win. Right. It, it, it's a, a win, but but that's about it. It doesn't, it doesn't do anything. The needle. Right. Um, You're not going to jump another bubble team because you beat DePaul. Right. You're only going to jump another team if they lose because they got upset. For example. Yeah. I mean – Speaking of DePaul, before we even get to the Big East tournament, because we, we, we love to do this, we love to play look ahead on this podcast, but, but even before we get to DePaul at the Big East tournament, we have to play them at home on Saturday. We do. 7.30 p.m., Fox Sports 1 on the 17th. It is accepted students weekend um, at Providence, so expecting a nice crowd, a um, well-lubricated Student section, nothing better than a 7.30 tip on a Saturday. Um, obviously, you beat DePaul by 38 at their place. Uh, that was still with Tony Stubblefield as their head coach. And since then, I think DePaul has just gradually gotten worse. So I, I'm i not going to say it, but everyone knows what we're thinking here. Um, you get through that game, and then you have – three of your last five on the road, including at Xavier, at Marquette, at Georgetown, and you'll host Villanova and Connecticut. I think best case scenario, you got to go three and two over that stretch. Yeah. Oh yeah. hundred percent. Um, you, you have to, well, you, look, you have to take, and I was looking at this, how the schedule lines up, right? You played DePaul on Saturday, Joe. And then mm-hmm. you play X on Wednesday on the road, but then you're off that next weekend, which I think, I think kind of lines up perfectly for that final four game stretch. Mm-hmm. Um, gives you a little bit of break. You got to take care of business on Saturday, right? You and I talk about this all the time. It's another win, and it's another more, maybe more importantly, 
another Big East win, right? And right. you have other teams battling in the Big East with much tougher games on Saturday, and you have teams dropping games, and you, you have a chance to get to 8-7 and seven in conference, right? And when we look in March, when we look at the Big East tournament, that could be the difference, us being a 5 or 7, right? And it's it's funny to say that the Paul can have a factor. They 100% can because every Big East win is the same exact thing. You beat UConn, it's one Big East win. You beat DePaul, it's one Big East win. You got to take care of Saturday. But if you're looking, at, looking ahead, and we like to do this a lot because we can because we're not playing in the game. Yeah, like you have six games left. I'll count DePaul in there, right? Mm-hmm. You have to beat DePaul at home. You have to beat Villanova at home. And you have to beat Georgetown on the road, right? So those are three wins. That gets you to 19 wins. Can you find a win out of at X at Marquette hosting UConn? You got to find a way to get a win there, in my opinion. I think, you know, best case scenario, you steal a win from Xavier. And I think that is if more than possible. Um, if, you know, Joe, sorry to cut you off, but if we beat the Paul on Saturday and we go to X on that following Wednesday, when we talk Thursday night, right, we're recording mm-hmm. the post game against for x you and i are going to feel very good about this team we're gonna feel real good very very good yeah i i i think that's going to be a really important game mm-hmm. playing it's at quad, Marquette. well it's a quad one win yeah it's a quadrant one win It'll get you to five quad one wins yeah playing at marquette is going to be tough and yep. i'm yeah. not i don't think that playing at georgetown is going to be easy no, but no when, but Georgetown has played better on the road than they have in their own building this season. And I think it's 100% a result of the fan turnout. And th- this is not supposed to be a knock on that program, but Georgetown just plays better in front of fans on the road and they don't get a lot of fans at home. They Again, don't. not a knock. If you watch the games and you hear the crowd, they just don't fill that arena. It's probably very tough as a college student to play in front of an empty arena like that, knowing it's your home gym. Yeah. No, I agree. And, um, yeah, look, you got to take care of business on Saturday against DePaul. I was looking at, before we copped on, I was looking at Joe Lenardi's new bracketologist uh, bracket today, Joe. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you had a chance to take a look at it, but before the St. John's game on Tuesday, he had us as, as a next four out, right? Mm-hmm. Now we're one of the first four outs, so we right. jumped. A, we jumped a category forward. Um, some Big East team was on this uh, last four buys. Uh, Butler is one of them, and then in the first four out, it's Providence and Seton Hall. Wake being the number one first four out, and then Providence and Seton Hall, and then Cincinnati, and then two other Big East teams in the next four out, which is St. John's and. Uh, Villanova. So you have five teams either on the last four buys, a first four out, or a next four out in the Big East, which is absurd. And that's not even, and then X is technically still on this after the next four out. So they're hinting on the bubble. Uh, they're they're them getting rolled by the Seton Hall did not really help their bubble, their tournament chances. But you have yeah. five to six teams right now, Joe, with one win goes the either way, which is why how important that St. John's win was on Tuesday, and then how important it is to take care of business against DePaul because you don't so you don't move at all. You take care of business on Saturday, and then you have a chance to go probably jump into the tournament brackets if you go beat X next Wednesday. Yeah, uh, I agree. I try not to 
get too caught up in all of the different bracketologists. Um, yeah. No, it's fair. It's fun to look at, though. No, no. It's I listen. I, it is a lot of fun to look at, but like Lunardi is an ESPN guy. Yeah, he's not the so, biggest Big East guy. Right, he's a little bit tougher on the Big East than he is on the ACC or the SEC or the Big Twelve, like teams that are that more likely to be playing on ESPN. Whereas Mike DeCourcy, who's a Fox guy, is going to be very generous to the Big East and the Big Ten and the Fox College Hoop primaries, right? Like Mike DeCourcy at one point had seven teams in from the Big East. And I think in his recent one, he had five or six. So mm-hmm. you can always see the slant that these bracketologists do it with. Um, but I, I agree with you. It is a lot of fun to look and, and play bubble watch when all of these well, different fields are posted. Yeah. yeah. And you look, you saw them go and this is Lunardi's, right. You saw them go from the next four out before St. John's to the first four out. Right. So that's how that shows you how important you jumped a handful of teams there right. on that went over t- on Tuesday. Right. And obviously DePaul doesn't move you either way if you beat him on Saturday, but then that X game next Wednesday is a huge determining factor, potentially obviously. And then obviously Marquette and obviously UConn down the road, but yeah, Look, it shows you how important these games are because two losses by one of these teams in front of you, it changes the the complete narrative. Yeah, I agree. I think at Xavier and at home against Villanova are going to be really important matchups for us. Um, But first and foremost, we have to take care of business against DePaul on Saturday. Um, You know, that, that is... It's not a must win, but it it is not a game that you can lose. Yes, uh, and we'll just we'll just leave it at that. Yeah. Also, <laughs> um, we're Creighton fans on Saturday. FYI. Yeah, we are Creighton fans on Saturday. They play at DePaul at twelve thirty, so we're Creighton fans. At DePaul? No, no. Yeah, DePaul gets both Providence and Creighton on the same day. Just to put double headers. And no, sorry, Creighton plays at Creighton plays at Butler. For everyone, I just confused, and then. Marquette UConn has no effect on you and I, or as Providence. I'm I'm um, I'm gonna pull for Marquette in that. One. Oh, 100. Yeah, uh, because I don't I don't want Dan Hurley running away with with the conference, and also the the better that Marquette is, the better that win is for us. Yeah, better the yeah. better that win ages for us. And then, Joe, we're talking about a bubble game on Sunday at UBS Arena, Seton Hall at St. John's. My God, that is that's a. That's a massive, as massive as a February 18th bubble game can get. That is as massive as it can get. Also, like, add in the layer of the New York, New Jersey rivalry. Yes. Massive. Jo- John Phantom, man, he's, he, he is going to be, he's going to be aroused. That He loves that matchup. <laughs> yeah, and then, like, obviously you have Providence and Villanova. Villanova plays Friday against Georgetown. Providence against DePaul. Both of those teams just have to take care of business if you're looking at both of those um, teams. And then Butler with a huge bubble game against Creighton, right? And yeah. Creighton's probably playing for, obviously, trying to get move up in the Big East standings, but they're also trying to move up seating-wise, right? So, it, In my opinion, and I'm not trying to bring them down or taint the loss, I think Creighton is closer to the logjam than their record indicates. Like I, I, in terms of the way that they so, play, like your record is your record and the wins are the wins and the losses are the losses. But I don't know, man. I think, I think Creighton 
has some iffy losses on there. They lost at home to Villanova, at home to Butler, on the road to us. Like Creighton is well coached and they have a lot of pieces, but they're very beatable. They're they're vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And I think Ryan Kalkbrenner might be the most overrated college basketball player on the planet. I think Donald Clinton's the most overrated college basketball player on the planet. But the two of them. It's another the, conversation for another day. They're tall, that's all. <laughs> all right. I am exhausted. We're <laughs> rambling. We're yeah, rambling. We're man. rambling here. All right. Providence beats St. John's behind Daddy Oduro. <laughs> oh, God. 75 to 72. Um, they take the court again on Saturday, the 17th. They'll host DePaul on Accepted Students Day. That game is at 7.30 p.m. Back on Fox Sports 1. You'll be listening to this Friday morning. You'll hear from us again after that the following Tuesday. In the meantime, be sure to check out house-enterprise.com for more of the content that our awesome stable of creators produces. But for Peter DiBiase, this is Joe Howie. Thank you, as always, for listening, and go Friars. Go Friars.